The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up. That by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. This is Igniting the Spark. We have taken the spark and we are igniting it. And I'm so thankful for you listeners. Thank you so much for being here. I can just feel right now the warmth in my heart, just this wonderful connection that spreads out through me to you and back. It's just this beautiful interconnectedness. So thank you so much for being here. I am so excited. One of the people that has just touched my heart in this lifetime, um, who I just enjoyed having on the show, and I'm so thrilled to have her back, is transformational psychic medium, Marla Fries. And she is known to audiences throughout the country with appearances on A&E, Bravo, History Channel, Sci-Fi, TV Land, and Gaia's TV, Gaia TV's belief, uh, excuse me, Beyond Belief, with George Nori. So her memoir, American Psychic, A Spiritual Journey from the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven and Beyond, is an inspiring story of her journey from small town girl to successful TV and stage actress and a gifted psychic. It's been a number one Amazon bestseller. It was my first interview with her, which was such a joy. And I'm just thrilled to have you back here, Marla. Welcome to Igniting the Spark. Oh, Stephanie, thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with you and to talk about your book, We Are Becoming Fierce. We are fierce. <laughs> Let me tell you that. We are fierce. And it sounds like it's a fierce time right now in LA. Yeah. How are you doing with, with all of this that's happening? Well, I love the fact that I'm no longer in the hills, but that's a very dangerous... People don't understand what L Los Angeles is really like. Unless you've been here, we have these hills that, that divide the Hollywood side from the Valley side. And the Valley side is where I live near the studios. I've been in Studio City for a number of years, but I did live in the hills. And what happens is there's so much water that there's no place for it to go. So it's just a torrent. 
and the streets up in the hills become actual rivers. So mm. it's it's very dangerous, and I'm I'm just going to stay inside and keep my Prius nice and dry and go out when it's all over. But we we hold the space for you know everyone, especially the the first responders that are out there. It's it's pretty dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like from our conversation, this is for everyone. Just a you know a practice in patience. Yes, well, is we could we could laugh about this, but we're always praying for rain and it's just that the system didn't hear us until <laughs> two weeks ago and decided to listen to all those intentions and prayers and just give it to us. So we do need it. And so Yeah. Yeah. T- take it as a blessing and yeah, that's how I'm gonna see it. Absolutely. Well, Marla, you know, you've always got so many amazing things going on. What's what's happening in your world right now? Well, you know, it's interesting because we're still moving through that COVID part. And I did a little bit of traveling this last year. It was really great. I was at the Monroe Institute again, and I was there for, not for my work, but to be there for the first UAP, the first unidentified aerial phenomenon experience at the Monroe Institute. And that's that was really interesting. And we had a great time. It was fairly successful. And I've been, um, I've been really itching to move around and go to different theaters. I like to go to different cities and work in theaters. And last night, I happened to go to a staged reading at a particular theater here in town that I had been thinking about whether I was going to do an event there. Well, Stephanie, this was one of those nights where, and I don't go where I'm not invited, but we are going to talk about loss because this is part of the work that I do. But I sat in the theater and it was kind of in the round. It was a thrust stage and I got there early. So I moved from one place to the next, to the next and ended up crossing the stage and sitting up against two other chairs in the corner. And there were women that came in and sat right in front of me. And all of a sudden we just started talking and one thing led to another. And I said, oh my, I, listen, I don't do this unless I get permission from you, but I've got a guy named Patrick who wants to talk to you. And one of the girls said, oh my God, that was my dad's brother. And then I started physically feeling, well, I've got pain in my head. I'm getting nauseous from chemo. And I started channeling her father coming in. And it was like, a 15 to 20 minute session right there in the seats of this theater with this wonderful woman who brought her nieces. And it was like, I guess I'm supposed to work in this theater. Wow. So it was, it was really remarkable. They were of course quite shocked by the whole thing, but we got some real resolution about it. And I'd really love to talk to you about, you know, the loss that you have just experienced in one of the most difficult losses that we all go through. Well, thank you. I know we were we were talking ahead of time about how this will be an interesting interview that we'll we'll be actually interviewing one another. Yeah. And you know, yeah. well, one of the great things I have to share with the audience too about Marla, I mean, her gifts are so phenomenal. Last time that we were together, my dog Jules popped in. And mm-hmm. and you saw Jules and you said, "Oh, and not that you usually get, you said messages from dogs, but but you had said, you know, you were seeing this black dog and that Jules was sad about this black dog and that it couldn't play with her. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was my cousin's dog next door 
who is so old, you know, Jules would run the fence trying to get him to play with her and then he wouldn't. And then you said, well, it feels, you know, she, it feels she's saying that some guy has just left, which is my fiance now, but at the time, you know, this was a couple of years ago, um, he had just left to fly back to Seattle. And she said, yeah, I don't like him, you know, roughhousing with me, or I can't remember wrestling with me. Okay. And what was ironic is, you know, he's a chiropractor and he was literally had been adjusting her. (laughs) And so the joke at our house after that was like, okay, Jules, don't tell Marla on me. (laughs) Or or you could just make the agreement with Jules saying, okay, are you open to me adjusting you? And Jules would stay or run away. So that's a great idea. I didn't remember any of that, but that's really fun. Yeah, that is so fun. We all side of our bodies. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me what specifically Marla would you want to know? Well, I think the dynamic with loss is that everybody is trying to stay away from the terrible pain and the pain is always equal to the love. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that people don't understand. It's one of those dynamics where we just want to get out of the pain we want to, you know, whether it's smoking, drinking, whatever it is, it's it's a dynamic of literally it's important to process the pain because when someone leaves the earth plane, when they leave their body and they leave the, the you know, the avatar behind, their consciousness is going through their own process and they feel our grief. They, they get to see what's happened since they have passed. They get to see how we are feeling And they too are in a process. So people aren't thinking that their loved ones who have just died are in their own process. I'm sure that you do. But the dynamic of that loss is he's leaving a legacy behind. And we get to pick and choose what parts of their legacy they want to leave us. And there's a strength that comes from your father. I don't know if you've had spinal problems or hip issues, but that dynamic of getting your father's legacy or taking some of his energy into your body will actually strengthen that area. So mm. that's one of the things that I'm initially picking up just by this the sense of respecting the process and what actually happens in this. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I have had hip hip issues from time to time, and it's not been that I've needed you know, like hip replacement or anything like that. I mean, oftentimes with chiropractic, it will go away, but it's interesting that it flares up and Mm -hmm. at interesting times. I think Marla, wow. I mean, my heart is resonating so much with you in that I think what has made this grief journey different from me is that I allowed it in the deepest way. I had already started grieving and for those of you who haven't listened to some of my other shows, I, and, I've, and I've mentioned this on some of my shows, my father passed away December 3rd of 2022 and had gone into hospice a few weeks before that. And um, him just going into hospice and knowing that he'd had a stroke and he was not responsive started the grief process. You know, I was already aware that this was happening. And I have to also give it to my fiance, who is, he is such a incredibly compassionate heart. And so he's got such a high EQ 
that he held space for me and encouraged me when I would be holding my breath to let it go and to feel it and to feel it and to feel it, you know, and that moment that the call came in, you know, that Sunday night that he had passed, I had already felt it. Yes. Um, It was like eight, 10 at night. And I'm suddenly like sobbing. I had been just happy all day. And then all of a sudden I was sobbing and was immediately exhausted. And then when I woke up, you know, we'd been watching a movie and I fell asleep right here on the couch, like at 8.15 and then woke up about 10.30 and saw my brother had texted me to call him and then found out the news and allowed myself and have, even though I would say like in the last couple weeks, I haven't felt that same level of sorrow. Yeah. Today, this morning, I was in the kitchen and one of the songs from all things from ABBA came up in my mind mm-hmm. and it reminded me of the song that my dad had me sing at his wedding to my stepmom. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And then I just, oh, you know, you know, of course absolutely. Well, I think it's just for your listeners. I just think that it's so remarkable that this benevolent consciousness, this universal consciousness, most people call God, I call the larger consciousness system, allows for these things to take place. And it really is a dance between the other side of the veil, the consciousness of your father, you, the rest of the family. It is a process and people don't always understand that. You know, most people have just such grief or anxiety about, oh, I wasn't there for him or I wasn't in the room or this. I feel guilty because I I wasn't at the house enough. They don't care about that. Your father was in hospice. He was in process of death. That's a job in and of itself. He's dealing with his own consciousness. He's going in and out of the body, checking things out on the other side. He'd probably been in communication with various, um, whether it's his father and a, or a brother or something that had also been there on the other side, just getting ready to go. It's a process and we make it about ourselves. And it's like, I've had dead people say, honey, I was busy dying. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> I didn't care what you were wearing. <laughs> I didn't care that you weren't in the room at that time. I was busy going. And a lot of people have, you know, issues with that. But the dynamic mm-hmm. is for our listeners, it's, it is something we have to give ourselves. We have to be really loving and compassionate to ourselves. We're getting ready to lose a parent. It's a very, very difficult thing. And they too are moving on in their own journey. They're getting ready to be in a different form. All of the issues, all the pathology, all the weirdness, all of the, you know, all of the things that we, you know, stick inside of our bodies is actually left behind in the physical body. So that when someone leaves the body, can you only imagine getting out of your body and going, wow, I have no more neurosis about how my hair looks. I don't have any issues. <laughs> about whether I need to diet or not. I mean, seriously, I've had conversations about this and no doubt your father's, your father's ability to transform and adjust because I think that he's had to do that many times in his life. No doubt he will, if he's not already been in communication with you, he most definitely will. And the pride, the pride about you, your book, everything that you have done. And 
there's part of us that we never feel as though we've done enough to get our parents' love or our attention. And do you have anything to say about that? Well, I I do. And I and so one of the things I want to piggyback in what you said though is I and I think it's so important or important for the listeners to hear mm-hmm. is that each one of us are on our own grief journey when we go through things like this. So nobody else can dictate the length of time or how it should look. Mm-hmm. And you know, Marla, one of the things that was interesting as I was going through this, I happened to read in a book, I mean, of course, that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief were actually not meant for the people left behind, that those stages of grief were for what hospice patients were experiencing as they were dying. And so that's where it took kind of this linear progression And for us to know that it's going to go back and forth and weave and it's not going to take, it's not going to be like, oh, phew, I'm done with the anger stage. Now I'm going to move right into acceptance or, you know, (laughs) it it will loop back and forth. And so I just want to acknowledge that as as people are experiencing grief. And, you know, to answer your question, as, you know, people that have read my book and you've read my book, Becoming Fierce. And I grew up as this kiddo after being so close to my dad and then estranged from him at 16, feeling like I had to earn his love for most of my life. And I think what that does to us, it does, it puts this unnecessary pressure that even though like in these last six years, I've not been in communication with my father, as I had told you before we got on the the call, oh my gosh, you know, I still was being pushed. Mm-hmm. You know, I still was working those 10 to 12 hour days feeling like I had to prove something, not even realizing the unconscious pressure mm-hmm. that was, I still have to prove this to my dad. I still want him to be proud of me. And even though I hadn't been talking to so, so what a realization and how freeing it is through that grief process as I realized that to let go of that. It's extraordinary. And it has its own layers. And there are days when we feel so joyous. And then there's days where we have such grief. And you know, when my mother passed, and we had been, it wasn't so much that we were estranged, the whole thread of the memoir that I wrote is that she's basically the antagonist throughout the entire book. And I could never help her, Stephanie. I could Mm. never do anything for her unless I was behaving the way that she needed me to behave. And that was my former acting career. I mean, I left acting in 2002. I'd spent an entire life acting in the house. I'd Mm. become a professional at it and I didn't want to pretend anymore. And this other work changed this. But it wasn't until she passed that I was like, oh my God, I have so much love to give her and she wouldn't let me give it to her. Mm. And sometimes in, in relationships, whether it's a a new mother, you know, a new wife or, or whatever, we are kept out of that dynamic, but you get to have a completely different relationship with your father now where you get to communicate with him in a way. And, you know, it's not like I came on here to channel your dad, but to talk about this for the listeners, because this is where we all are. I mean, COVID has taken a lot of our friends and family members away. So 
this is a process, as you said, we each have to go through it. And we go through it in a most unique way. And it's like the love. And that's one of the things I, I do love about your book. And I really do think it's wonderful because I think it's it's just the right size. It's just the right amount of information to help people who have gone, who are going on this journey that you and I have been on for years and years and years. And we decided someplace inside of our soul that we had to transform the trauma. We had to go in there and start working on this. And that's what your book does. It really does talk about something. I kept going back to the first line on page 31, which is basically this work is really when you come from a higher consciousness around love, when you choose love, things change. And I could not love her the way I wanted to love her. I could not get her love. So when she died, it was like, game on. Let's see how this is going to go. And of course, the end of the book is really what happened in, I guess it was eight years after she had died. But that was so transformational. Not that she apologized. I didn't need that. But that she really understood what had happened. And it took eight years of me growing up enough eight years of me healing in her process of death, eight years to be ready as to what happened between us right before, you know, I decided to, to get this book out there. So transformational. And I want everybody that's listening to be extra special, gentle with themselves about this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really it. And you and I have had some, very parallel experiences in this. And, you know, I resonate so much with the fact that even when I decided not to continue speaking to my father because of all the pain and all the things that were continuing to be a part of that relationship, the love was still there. Yes. You know, yeah. and, and there's a way that we can detach with love. Mm -hmm. I think that's really imperative here as well. And I did, I mean, I, the, the line that you said at the very beginning of this interview, you know, the amount that we grieve truly is equal to the amount and the depth that, that we love someone. And so the grief has been so intense because I love my father. I've always loved my father so, so deeply. And when you said, you know, so the journey now, it's, it's so interesting. It has changed already so much when he, I think it was towards probably the last week of hospice, he started coming to me in dreams. Yeah. And I had 12 nights, 12 nights in a row of just hanging out. I mean, and it was just like nothing. It was not like we were having anything super special. I mean, I had dreams where we were playing cards, Yes, you know, yeah. but it's it was just like, oh my gosh, I just, I feel that connection. I feel that yeah. love. I feel we're, we're yeah. good. Yeah, it's really interesting. It has its own. It has its own rhythm. It has its own strengths. It's uh, you had your own twelve days of Christmas. <laughs> Truly, yeah. I mean that's another book, and we need to be joyous about this because it really was when my mother died. I could actually do something for her, and I had a great time getting all the stuff together and having the her the woman that did her hair, and I picked you know I picked her her uh, coral lipstick, and I found one of the 
necklaces that I g- had given her and I had her all dressed up. I didn't put a girdle on her in the, in the casket. That was one of the things I was not going to have done. But the, but the thing about it, she was wearing her glasses. I picked this beautiful ruffled shirt that she just loved. And uh, I put her in a black suit with her great loafers. I mean, I did whatever I could because she would never let me do anything like that mm. in life. So we get to have different relationships. And my mom showed up just recently. I was in a meditation and she came and sat beside me on this bench in this meditation. And she said, thank you, Marla. Mm. And I know that it is the work that I continue to do because who she was, was such a, such a challenge, but it's made me who I am. Yeah. And I have a lot of clients. It's like I have a a flag over my head. So if you have a difficult mother, contact Marla, you know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the point really is that it is all about the love. And it is between, well, let's look at it this way, Steph. You have this voice now. You have a voice into consciousness and love that couldn't really happen with dad around. And you now have a fiance. You're you're being partnered with a man. And that changes the dynamic of the male energy in your life. So one that wasn't always available is moving out and is going to be in different form for you. And now we have this partner that's been beside you for three years, helping you in the process of this transition. And that's just fabulous. Hmm. Marla, thank you so much. We're going to have to go to break. I am just loving this conversation. I always love my connection and any time with you. So we're going to take a quick break here and then we will be back with Marla Freeze Igniting the Spark. Stay tuned. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Welcome back to Igniting the Spark. I am having an amazing conversation with the beautiful Marla Fries, and I mean that in all ways. I am so thrilled to be here with you. And so, you know, we, we've been talking about loss and grief and love. Tell me what's sparking you right now. Well, I kind of want to jump ahead and go, all right, we've had this loss, we've had this grief, what are we going to do about it? And it really is about the spark. It really is about what makes us get out of bed. All right. So Mm -hmm. I go to bed at night. And I basically say, before I go to bed, 
Show me how I need to heal this. If I have an issue in my life, show me what I need to know about this. And I will go through dream after dream after dream. And I wake up and I don't know what actually happened, but I'm like, I feel great. (laughs) This is amazing. So on some level, I healed it. But we do. There are things in that we we all want to heal. And these relationships that are so uh oh, did you see those orbs? I just saw that. <laughs> just wow. I don't know, just call them fairies or they're dust or something. But the bottom line is we are all in this and it is you can't get away from this. I was just with a friend who passed over the holiday as well. I went to see him three weeks before he passed and really brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. And he understands my work because he's, he came to me and with his wife and his daughters and he was so brilliant as this being. And he's looking at me and he's going, I'm not getting out of this, am I? And I said, no, you're not. So let's plan what we're going to do because you still have your faculties. Let's make videos. Let's have you talking to your grandchildren. It was like producing the opportunity for him to have the next two weeks before he actually passed. And he came to me and was like, wow, that was easy. You said I would just slip out. It's the ego that keeps us here. And that's actually really part of it. So in this process of going through grief and going through loss, if we wake up happy We don't feel guilty about it. We have to go, okay, there's something that shifted. And what's actually happening, Stephanie, is that there's a shift on the other side. Our loved ones are possibly meeting with people that they need to talk to, people that they need to clean some stuff up with. It's actually, it's going on between both sides of the veil. And this is what I've learned in the last couple of years about my work. It's generational healing. So we get to, and you have parts of this in your book where you talk about the past, but it's like, what are we going to do about it? So everybody that's listening, you have to trust this. You have to trust that your intention, when it's heartfelt, when it's heart-centered, will pull to you exactly what you need. And you might not like it at first, but it's like, wow, this is a really great opportunity. And it doesn't mean that this person that comes into our lives is going to be there for a long period of time, but it's like, I got a message through dating this person, or I got a message through the death of my cat. You know, when my cat was dying, he had cardiomyopathy. I've never told you this story and I don't have any more cats because I have to take major medication for that. But he was mm-hmm. laying on my chest and all of a sudden, because I don't hear cats, I work really well with horses and dogs, but I hear Marla, your love has never been in vain. <laughs> I've got an, a cat that has an English accent. What the heck? It was just really crazy. And, you know, this amazing, benevolent, larger consciousness system we call God facilitates these things. And whether it is a dream, I mean, when my dad died, I would meet him in a bar And he was like the bartender. He was an alcoholic. He was a bartender. And I was sitting at the bar and I said, Dad, when was the last time you had a drink? And he said, about five minutes ago. And it was like, 
the joke was he was a bartender. He was an alcoholic. I mean, dad, what are we going to talk about? These are the first couple of strange dreams that happened after he passed. So when we wake up, there's something that's happened in the middle of the night, whether it's our dream processing or whatever, that gives us the impetus to get up and out and make things happen. And it's very strange when someone that we've really loved dies, what happens inside of us, we shift. If it was a partner that we've loved for so long, we have to learn to take care of ourselves in a different way. Why do you think you made that agreement with them that they would go first? There's still things that the my friend's wife has to learn, his family has to learn, and we never think of it that way. I'm just coming in, you know, as an expert in this field to basically say, look, this is the opportunity. Now we have to step forward. You've been stepping forward, but his legacy, you get to pick the parts of his legacy that you love the most. How funny he is, how gregarious and and spontaneous as he was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And to take that and to imbue yourself with it because that is never going away. We've lost the body. We've lost that part we can't hug anymore. But in the middle of our dreams, we certainly can. So it's just another way to, it's an antidote to the loss. It's all about that love that you talk about in your book. It's all about how we are moving forward. We're not doing anything with people we can't be in that right resonance of love with. We're just not. They're falling away. The way that our country has gotten set up over the last couple of years, it's like we either have to be centered in the love and in the opportunity to move things forward with a higher consciousness, a lower entropy, or we're just not going to be able to do anything. Well, and I think that, you know, what you're saying too, that that is just making so much sense to me is this part of as I, and I, and I really believe it, that we are evolving in our consciousness as a humanity, as a planet and to embrace, you know, what's interesting is when we're talking about my father, he was the greatest wound and the greatest, one of the greatest loves of my life. So what's interesting now, as you said, what starts happening through this process is I not only at moments feel more alive than I have ever felt and in like the deepest gratitude I've ever experienced. I also, I, it made me reevaluate what is meaningful, what is important in my life. And right before the new year, I literally wrote down all the, you know, family and then all the friends that were the top priorities in my life and evaluated what has my intention been in the last year towards these people. And now really focusing on who are the people I want in my life and in my inner circle. And I also am wanting to be very conscious and intentional about how I'm reaching out to them and how I am really putting that energy into the relationship so that this year and my life moving forward is imbued with even more meaning, more love, more connection. And that I'm also letting fall away, like you said, part of that evaluation. And I literally, Marla, gave people a score, like (laughs) zero to 10 of how much intention and energy I was putting into them. And then how much I really want to. And, And some of them, I was like, oh my gosh, like my stepdad, we call him Pops. 
I'm like, I want to start walking with pops a couple times a week. I want to have that special time with him. And then there were some other friends that I'm like, I only you know, scored them a two. It feels like this relationship is ready to fall away and that's okay. Again, we can detach with love and it's fine. Yeah. And so I just think that part of this grief process actually becomes like the fodder for igniting the next part of our lives. You bet. It's the dry kindling that we can burn up. It's really great. While you're talking, this is one of the things that started coming through. The dynamic of, let's just look at your father and his accomplishments and some of the things that he didn't accomplish and his wounds. And, you know, there's a very deep wound inside of you when he actually left that time. So his needs, his desires that put you and your family in jeopardy. So he's having to deal with that. Mm. And that part is something that people don't understand. It's not like you're going to hell or anything like that. That's a whole different prospect of, of, of a mindset. That's not the issue. It's looking at how do I want to move forward in my next life? And your mm -hmm. dad's not in that place yet. He's still in the process of, wow, I did some things that you know weren't necessarily benevolent or helpful. I took care of my own needs. But here's what happens. He gets to see you. He gets to hear us talking. He knows we're talking. He gets to hear and be a part of this and go, oh my God, I recognize that in my form, the way that my life was, the way I had it set up in my own issues and my tissues, I kept myself separate from my daughter because it would have threatened my relationship with this other woman. And that dynamic is like, how shallow, how small, you know, he's dealing with that instead of look and looking at you now going, my goodness, she's had all of this to offer. And now he's going to be a student of yours in his own unique way. But that limitation that he had put on himself is no longer there. And you feel that you get to feel the joy and the expression because you're not, you're not sequestered in any way by the way that that family dynamic was working. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really a powerful, powerful thing. You know, this generational healing stuff started for me a couple of years ago when I was in England with Tom Campbell. Tom Campbell is the physicist, author, and consciousness expert that I've been working with for the last 12 years. And he was teaching left brain people to do what I do. So I was in, I was in two weeks of these immersives and I was there as a student. I mean, I'm always a student when I'm with friends that are, that are facilitating something. And I always want to learn, but I decided I wanted to go into an experience and meet someone, some deceased loved one that would help me understand my mother a little bit. And my grandmother came in, or I flew to my grandmother's house, and I'd never met my grandparents. But what happened in that experience was so benevolent and so transformational, because they gave me the idea of what it was like to be with them in this experience, and I could feel their love. And then they disappeared in front of me. And this was the grief, because my mother's anguish was that her mother had died very early. And, and my grandfather's anguish was that his wife had died early. It was the deprivation of love, Stephanie, mm -hmm. that tore that family apart. Mm -hmm. 
And because they didn't have people like you or me to help them process some of this, they medicated themselves, they drank, they had other relationships, they, you know, whether it's sex or drugs or whatever, to keep us not from feeling. And that is out of the deprivation of love. And if we can help others see that deprivation of love that happens in families and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, just as your book continues to guide people with, just as I can continue to use my history as an example, but it's really moving forward. And I think that's what people want to do. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Well, it's just the process of understanding that it is the deprivation of love. It is what sets us on a tear of anger, of, of fear. You know, people are walking around with these egos that have just been built over and over and over and over and over of years of years of years of bullying people because of their own fear. And, you know, like laser beam focus, as a therapist, you can go, bam. And as a laser beam focus with me, I can see the pattern in a family, the gestalt of how this wow. all happened and go, bam. And in an hour session, which is basically like 20 hours of therapy or whatever, we get to the point. But just so people have the understanding that they are not trapped, that they too can move beyond this is what we're trying to do, because that's what we had to do as kids. Well, and I think so essential what you're talking about, how, and, and here's the question, right? So how do we move towards love? How do we help other people move towards love? Say that there's someone out there right now, Marla, who's really struggling and feels maybe stuck in their own grief process or stuck in anger, whatever it is where they're at. What would you say to them? How would you encourage them to move towards love? Well, if they're listening and they are having the idea that they'd like to do that, it is a choice. It really is a choice. We can, we've done this with clients. We can coach someone into saying, okay, what's the greatest thing that happened to you yesterday? And it might be even that they made a great cup of coffee. And what does that have to do with the love of your husband? Well, and then they will talk. Well, well, I used to make coffee for him, although sometimes he liked his own coffee better, but it's getting people to talk, getting them to share their stories, our books, putting our books out there so people can see what we've gone through that will make them want to tell their stories. But knowing that there's a way to change just by saying, I am choosing love. And though I can't have my husband here right now because he died, I'm going to go get his sweater, smell him, and have a great memory of him, and also know that he is moving on in his own consciousness, but can see me and can see me getting better, can see me not laying in bed every day or drinking or whatever I've been doing in order to process the pain. We get to work together. And all of a sudden, something will shift. You can feel it. It's in the field, between the veil. You can feel it. It's really quite miraculous when people get curious, when they make the choice and go, okay, what am I going to love today? Okay, I'm going to start with my dog. I'm going to start with being nice to the mailman because I've been nasty or snarky for the last couple of weeks. I'm choosing to be the love that I know is inside of me. Yeah. 
I think we need to make t-shirts, Marla, because, you know, choosing love, choose love, because it really is, it's a conscious decision that we can move towards in every moment. I think that even if it's, if at first we're not able to do external love, mm-hmm. if we're feeling like I can't be loving externally, I'm in this anguish. I think it's really important that we think about how can I be loving towards myself? Right. How can I be more gentle with myself? If I do, let's say I wake up and I feel great yeah. instead of guilting myself about that, yeah. breathing into that moment, really anchoring that moment within me. We always need support. And so it's like, okay, you're grieving, you're in pain, call somebody, you know, make sure that you have a team around you, but get in the bathtub, get in the bathtub. Remember what it felt to be so sensual back in your twenties or your thirties. Remember those times and you will have this again. It might be a different person. It might just be with yourself, but to find how you in your own life, loved them, how you made that coffee for your husband. And you get to talk about it because it's really fun to have a memory. Oh, and he used to do this and he used to do that. And those kinds of memories are how we can have the opportunity to bridge. Oh yeah, well, we fought and we fought hard and we fought about the kid not going to school or this school or that school, but the kid is doing great. And that's what you guys did together. So it's almost like, you know how people do journaling? I really love the idea of journaling with your deceased loved one. You know, there was always conversations with God, with Neil, Neil, um, Neil Walsh, Neil Donald Walsh. But yeah, I like to say, you know, one of the things I encourage is to start making this wonderful, you know, scrapbook with the ideas of how are we going to work together? You know, well, often uh, a partner will die and you're left with children. Well, I work with people all the time. How do we get them to partner? How do we get them to, um, to, to educate in school and teach parent, co-parent from the other side? It's totally love possible. that. It's totally I possible. love that. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And I would put it out there too, to the people that are in that support tribe, the people that are, you know, supporting that person to allow them to have those conversations. I know that one of the most powerful conversations I just had the honor of being a part of was one of my clients who came to see me on her wedding anniversary of her, she and her deceased husband. Oh who had died a couple of years before. And to be able to sit there and, I mean, just have her exude the joy and the love and the excitement. And she went back into like the wedding and the honeymoon. And a lot of times when, when we're the people around the person that's grieving, we're so afraid, like, okay, they're finally feeling better. Let's not bring anything up. And that couldn't be farther. You know, it's, it's inviting that person, if they want to talk about it, allowing that space, holding that space for that person. Because in that moment, as you know, Marla, it's it's like that is alive and that is real. We are experiencing it as a living reality. And it was so beautiful and so fun. And it was just, it it was so healing for her to be in the joy. Yes. Yes. Of the the anniversary. And, And that's the thing. People have to understand that if you're joyous, that doesn't mean that you are are doing anything to the 
to the legacy or the thought of the fact that they are deceased. No, no, that's the whole part of this. This is a process. We are still, we're in a different relationship with them. We're still in a relationship. We really are. You know, people get concretized when they're really upset with somebody that's died and they, they get to carry that anger and that just eats away at you. I mean, truly, sometimes people are dying because they did not handle the pathology in their own family. They didn't go get help for it. They internalized it. They basically made themselves sick. And that is once they're out of their body, they're basically saying, look, I made a real bad mistake about 14 years ago. I should have left him. And instead, I just took it and took it and took it and took it. And that dynamic is like, I made myself sick. And that's part of the process that you had this time in this life. Okay, you're on the other side. You're grieving it on your own way. And you're moving on. And we're going to help your children in the process. So someone, I did an interview with someone the other day and they, they said, well, you're really a tool. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like a golden crowbar. No. <laughs> but, but we all have to find people and ways of doing it. You know, ritual is great for some people, whether mm. it's going to church, whether it's the ceremony itself, whether it's sitting Shiva, whatever it is, those rituals give us something to hang on to. But in the part of this, of growing past the pain, there's books, there's talks, there's grief groups. You don't have to seek out a medium, but sometimes go for a medium, you know, find somebody that, you know, can help you through this process. And, and it's not always just a process that's happened right away. These are talking, we're talking years. And sometimes I can't reach somebody that's already, you know possibly reincarnated, but the dynamic is the therapy, the talk therapy, massage, cranial sacral work, mm. walking, exercising, breathing, you know, let's put the drugs aside. I mean, cigarettes and, and alcohol is what got some of our soldiers through the wars, but right now the war is inside of us and we have to find a way, a healthy way to be coached through this, a, a benevolent way, so that you take on the my reality of you, so that you see that you're beautiful and you're radiant and you have so much to say and so much to do in your life. Even that, or finding an idea of possibly, you know, that, that salsa dancing that you wanted to do with your husband that he, he wasn't capable of because he didn't have much rhythm. Now it's time to take that class. And your, I love and your husband's saying, oh, and by the way, there's money in that cupboard. You know, the one that you that I always used to keep my snuff or my chewing tobacco in when I went hunting. And she goes in and buys $500. Who knows? But at least she got it covered. <laughs> you know, who knows how these things go through? It's just amazing. It's quite remarkable. It's just, it's just fabulous. Well, and I love that this is this essential work that we can tap into. We can, like you said, I love it. We can journal with, you know, if our partner is deceased, we can still co-parent, we can do these things and to increase connection. Yes. Increase and relationship. Love. It increases the increase. love. Yeah. Love it. That's the love weird it. thing. People think that death is it. And on some level, some people want that death to be it, but it really is. It's not helpful for either side. 
You know, one of the things about working in the science of the work that I do is the database. They talk about the Akashic records. Well, that's, you know, a deceased person's there. No, they come to life when we need them. They come in and they give us love and they give us attention. They give us information. It's a thin slice moment of the deceased person, but it's so important. And if they need to apologize, which sometimes they really do, that helps them move on in consciousness into the next life, taking that into that soul connection of being a part of a consciousness that has lived many, many, many times. We're still learning things. Are you still up for it? Are you still curious? Yeah. Marla, I cannot believe this time has gone by so fast because this this is the essential stuff, you know, and I think, wow, I'm so thankful for our, our audience to have a chance to hear this vital and important message and that no matter where they're at, they can move towards love, they can choose love. And I guess first thing is, if someone wants to do a session with you or someone wants to connect with you? How do they do that? Well, this is great because I have jam in January discounts and fabulous February discounts. So if they go to my website, marlafreeze.com, and they go to the, to the contact form and they fill it out and they put your name in it because they just listened to us, then I will send a note back giving them a list of the discounts that I'm offering through February. And we just set it up and we do it. You know, what's really interesting is even though I love being on Zoom or in this wonderful forum with Riverside with you, I usually talk to people over the phone because I like to focus on the information. Mm -hmm. Even though I love seeing them, I really like just being able to cut to the chase and give them information, information that I consistently am downloading. Any aspect of your life, it can be about your career, your family, your pets, your friends, the psychic elements of that. And of course, this other very important part, which is truly at the, at the soul of all of us, which is the love between people that have passed on. Yeah, beautiful. And so they can get a hold of you, say it again. It's MarlaFreeze.com. That's my website. Okay, beautiful. And the book book is, you know, the book is something for, it's almost like it's a workbook because it truly is my memoir, but it gets people to think about their own lives. And there's lots of psychic information in it. You go from the trauma and the drama into the transformation of what you and I do now. Yeah. And I just, I have to give a plug for that book because I absolutely loved that book and I listened to it on Audible. And you read it and I love your voice and I love when authors read their own stuff because I felt like I already knew you. I yeah. felt so connected to your journey and your experience that by the time we got on our first interview together, I already felt like soul sisters with you. You know, I could really yeah. just connect with, with your journey and it is so inspiring. So please get the book. Listen to the Audible, American Psychic by Marla Freeze. Absolutely phenomenal. Go to MarlaFreeze.com so you can connect with her. And Marla, as we're wrapping up, what is the essential message that you want to leave with the audience? Everyone has a voice. Everyone has something to say. And sometimes we get stuck. And that being stuck is that opportunity to grow just see it as, okay, I've got to grow here. So when we get blocked or we're stuck, just know that everybody's going through this. Be very loving and benevolent through this process. And you will find another part of your voice that you get to share with the world. 
Mm, beautiful. Marla, such a delight to be with you. I'm so thankful to have had you here and spent this time with you. Thank you so much for being on The Spark. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Stephanie. You have been listening to Igniting the Spark with Stephanie James. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe and receive every episode. For more information about this show, my books, films, and events, go to stephaniejames.world and ignite your best life. We talk to the animals and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy-Smith, and Meredith Tolleson. We will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.